Welcome to Canada's podcast. So, Nabil, uh, welcome to Canada's podcast. Great to have you on, on the show. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, you know, your, your journey, to, entrepreneurial journey to date, uh, why you started it, where it is today, and, you know, what the future looks like, basically. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you for having me on, Phil. It's an absolute pleasure to be here today. I, uh, I think, like many entrepreneurs, my story probably started pretty early, and especially with, you know, with regards to sales compensation and sales incentives. So I'm going to you know, go back here in time. Mm-hmm. And when I was 10 years old, I had a newspaper route. And on the newspaper route, you effectively had a set of customers. Some were prepaid and some you, know, you collected payment from. And the way it works is you collected a certain amount of money and then you had to pay the newspaper. And this is the, the St. Catherine standard. A <laughs> the oh, seven, yeah, yeah. Catherine's guy. Okay. Oh, yeah, a, yeah, exactly. From St. Catherine's. I'm, I'm and, uh, not a guy as well, so that's fine. You know, it's great, uh, yeah, great, great place to have grown up. And I, you know, I go back there because my family's still there. But uh, you know, you have to pay you pay the standard, so you collect a certain amount and then you pay the standard the seven dollars every two weeks for the newspapers at the time. And they came out with an incentive. Uh, a spiff where for every new customer you added, you got $15. And so the first thing I did uh, was, you know, I was thinking, I tried to go get new customers and it's tough because, you know, no one necessarily wants to sign up for a newspaper and it's, you've already kind of capitalized and maximized your route. So I called the newspaper and I said, how long does a customer have to stay on in order to get, uh, you know, to get the payout? And they said only two weeks. And so I did the calculation, obviously $15 is what I get paid as a spiff. It cost me $7 to have the newspaper for, for two weeks. <laughs> so I'd still make $8 if I gave away the newspaper for free. And so I basically went around and I became a newspaper salesperson for three hours a day after school to go out and basically pitch a newspaper and then give it away for free for two weeks as a trial if they wanted to stay on. And I ended up you know, doubling. I won the spiff. I basically sold the most newspaper, or, you know, new, new newspapers in the city, but also... I ended up, you know, double or not doubling, over quadrupling my actual route size, and so they had to split it up. What was really interesting to me, though, is, is the power that incentives. Like a ten-year-old can be motivated that much through an incentive, and so that kind of that, that was the beginning of 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 my, uh, I would say, my entrepreneurial ways and understanding of, of the incentive world. So fast forward to, you know, after after graduation, I worked at a firm, ZS Associates, and. Uh, ZS, I'd say back in the 80s, was extremely novel. They, you know, they applied data uh, or data science to solve pharmaceutical industries, you know, sales strategy problems. So how do you best align territories? How do you design incentive structures, basically leveraging all the data that's available to them? Right. And right. so I did all this work around designing incentives and, and supporting organizations with sales strategy. And what I saw was this gap in how we operate today. And it's twofold. On the one side, we apply the same framework to solving these strategy problems in every business that we go to. The difference is that when you go into a new business and you're applying this framework, you are looking to solve their problems based off of their data. So you have to spend 80% of the project, you're understanding their data, their problems, and then you transform it into our framework to solve it. And so there's this you know, inefficiency because we'd come back three years later and it would be a different team, a whole new fresh, of, you know, uh, you know, fresh, uh, analysts and associates that have never seen that customer or their data before. And so they're revamping themselves up on the data to get it through the framework and, and, and provide that answer. 
And so I saw an efficiency on the strategy side. And then on the administration side, so you create a sales compensation structure. You know, you come up with a, uh, an incentive. I'm going to pay you X dollars if you hit this target or Y dollars if you hit that target. And then all of a sudden now we strategize, we come up with this answer and I have to pass it to the IT teams or the sales comp administration teams to execute on that. And so now I have this bottleneck because I have to design first and then I have to pass it to the IT teams to execute. And that could take months. And so large organizations start this design process six months before the end of the year. And in my mind, it was, we need to sit, fix this problem because this is not just an inefficiency problem. It's actually, you know, this is really a, you know, a market or I want to say an ROI problem. A trillion dollars is spent every year on sales compensation. And in, you know, if we look at how well it's spent compared to a fund that's a trillion dollar fund, it's like, it's, it's almost laughable. So what we did was we created Forma AI to solve this problem, to enable sales comp to be a tool used by sales leaders to actually drive performance and better motivate their teams rather than just be an administrative nightmare. And so what we're doing is we're helping our customers across numerous industries and numerous segments better motivate, increase performance, increase retention of top reps, and ultimately maximize the ROI of every dollar that they spend on sales compensation. You know, but getting back to the journey, okay, you know, you know, obviously what motivated you to become an entrepreneur was at 10 years old, you found a way to make some pr pretty good money <laughs> very quickly. Um, uh, and, and in fact, something that somehow reflects into where you are today in terms of, you, you, know, you know, the the current problem you're solving, if, if you like. Um, but, you know, why not do it for somebody else? Why not, you know, why, 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 become, why kind of take, take the step in, into independence? Is it, was it to earn sort of, so you, so you could earn the most money? Was it, you, you know, what was the motivation to do that? I mean, sometimes, I don't know. I mean, so there's motivations all over the place. Yeah, no, uh, it's a great question. And it's why I think about, if a new entrepreneur was to ask me a question today of, is it worth the risk? You know, what my answer would be. And on some days, it's, it's very different than other days, right? Because uh, is, it is a roller coaster ride uh, to be an entrepreneur for sure. But I would say, you know, going back to those days of, of being that you know, newspaper delivery uh, uh, boy and, and, and finding that incentive to make, you know, finding that incentive to make money, it really goes back to, I think, what. You know, I'm so thankful for Canada. I'm so thankful for living in a country that embraces immigration. Um, you know, to be to be clear, my family, my parents sacrificed everything in their lives to bring us here when I was at a young age mm -hmm. to give us a better life. And uh, having seen them have have to restart their life uh, early on, you know, I, I wanted to minimize my financial burden on them as much as possible. So my motivation was actually to make enough money to support myself without having an extra burden on my parents. Um, yeah, you know, given everything that they did to to, to get us here, and um, and so early on, my motivation was you know more around you know just making money to be able to survive, and I think that gave me the hustle early on. But as I you know as I had more experience and I entered the the workforce uh, and I worked at ZS where I learned a great deal. I mean, like there's absolutely like I'm very thankful for everyone that I worked with, all the mentors that I had um, in my tenure there, and. At that point, the motivation shifted. It's not about making money. You can make great money and have a great life being an employee. 
and, and continuing the path, you know, down, you know, working at a firm like ZS or others. I think for me, the motivation is when you're a part of a large organization that's solving a problem or working on a problem as big as this, there's really no motivation to change the way you do things. Why? Because you're making money. It's profitable. The steady state is good. And so when I saw this problem, the only way to actually solve this was to solve it myself. You know, I had an idea of how we could fix this. I had a, a take on, on how we could tackle this. And, and, and for me, it was, you know, when you sit, when I, I'm going to go back, you know, six years ago or five and a half years ago, you know, I shared this idea after I left this, I had shared this idea with, with a few, you know, ex-colleagues and, and, and kind of presented this to them. And everyone said, oh, what you're tackling is too big of a problem. Like it's almost impossible. No one's going to buy that piece. No one's going to buy that software. No one, no one's going to be, you know, shift their ways of doing things. And I think that's the, that's the thing that drives me to be an entrepreneur. I think drives a lot of people. It's, we have a belief that the world does need to change. It needs to evolve. It needs to become, you know, faster, better. And ultimately, you know, I'll, I'll say more human because. With more technology, and I think we were taught, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but with more technology, you, we actually enable humans to focus on the human element, what humans are really good at, which is making decisions and understanding large data sets and problems and being able to come up with a solution rather than be bottlenecked with the, with the day-to-day administration and the pains of that. So, you know, what are those, what were those you know, critical success actions that, if, if you can think back, that you needed? To put in place to get things rolling and, and to stay focused and get you to where you are today, which is you know pretty a pretty good place in terms of the, the entrepreneurial world. So I would say early on, we went the route of focusing on product and execution above everything else. And so you know for the first three years, had if you searched Forma online, there'd be nothing. You know, like you wouldn't actually have found us. We were very much a stealth startup. And mm-hmm. you know, part of I, I I attribute that to our success early on because the whole business, every person in the organization was rallied around the success of our product and the outcomes that our platform delivered to our customers. And by focusing on the problem, especially when it's such a complicated problem, by focusing on the problem, we were so driven to get to that good outcome, which I think, especially in a model where you're kind of revolutionizing the space, nothing else matters than outcomes. And so in, if I think about this world of sales compensation, right, where we're trying to, we're putting an incentive out there to drive a behavior within a sales professional, nothing matters more than does the incentive structure and the, and, and the platform that we're using actually increase performance? Does it, you know, increase our retention of the top performers because we know the top performers make up a significant portion of our ability to succeed and surpass targets? And ultimately, is it giving finance the predictability associated with sales comp? I think one of the, and, and this, is, this is a perfect you know, aspect of sales compensation is tough to do because you want to pay your top rep two to three times your average rep. And you want to pay your bottom reps a third. And so if you think about that pay scale and the curve, like how steep of a payout curve it is, you could actually have a business where half the people double target, so they get 200% to quota, and half the people get zero. And now all of a sudden, you're spending two to three times what you were spending before on sales comp. And that's a really big problem because sales compensation already makes up 10 to 15% of your top line revenue on average. And so 
you know, being able to better motivate and drive performance, but also give the CFO the peace of mind that, you know, their financials are safe because, you know, we're able to predict and, and accurately model where, where the spend is going to go, uh, kind of addresses the CRO's needs of more motivating structures and incentives, as well as the finance team's needs for, for stability. You've gone through that phase of, uh, of, of you know, startup to, you know, let's not say established, totally established, but pretty solid, and all the steps of funding and, <laughs> and scrambling and, and various other things in between. And I think, you know, so many of the people that, that listen and watch, um, uh, that's probably the thing that they, they, they kind of scratch their head most about is, I've got this great idea, how do I get it there? Maybe you can sort of give a, a little, I mean, because from what I could read in, in my research, give a little, because you've taken a fairly classic path uh, of, of funding. Maybe you can kind of cover that, cover that off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, going back to, you know, the very beginning, I think for some startups will, will have an idea and go raise their initial kind of seed money off just the, uh, off just the pitch deck. And I think, you know, for us, we took the classic, yeah, a little bit more of a classic route of, um, you know, starting, starting the business and focusing like I said, focusing on what matters, which is ultimately the product and what it delivered to the customer and executing to get the data points as validation. And, you know, I did have conversations early on. I think it, you almost do yourself a disservice of not having conversations with investors early on to get a sense of what they're looking for, what, what matters to them so that you can build towards that because you need the resources. You need, you need to be able to invest ahead of where you are in the business to kind of scale up to be a billion dollar company or more. Mm -hmm. So early on, you know, I, I did meet with investors. I pitched this idea, and the feedback I would get is, uh, you know, there's not the demand for this is not there, um, or no, no one, you know, no one uh, sales compensation is not that broken where it needs this. And then, you know, we go ahead and we we you know we start working with a second and a third customer, and so and then you start to kind of demonstrate. Well, wait a sec, there is actually product market fit here, and then no one's gonna, you know, uh, no one's going to. Uh, Want to think about incentives in a different structure, or you know, we're not sure if this is actually going to drive an outcome. And then two years later, you're, you're you have the data points that show no, it actually is driving uh, performance outcomes. And so I would say early on, get a sense of what you know what the market is looking for, but relentless focus on execution and outcomes with the customer. I mean, I for myself and the whole team. Our entire engagement for the first two years was, you know, we would speak with our customers on a daily basis, get a sense of how they're interacting, how they're using the platform, what was needed to, to, to make it that product they would, that they would, you know, stand behind and be as big, at, as big of an advocate as we were to, you know, to, to the world of, of what we're doing. And I think that relentless focus, you know, went as far as, um, you know, I share the story on, on, uh, on our website, but Early on, we started in my dining room and it was just two or three of us sitting around the dining room table working on this business. And at every point, you know, it was like the first few months in, we were starting to hire more. And a question came up, I, I put it up to the team. I said, hey, you know, hey guys, we can either go get our first office or we can hire an additional team member. And it was, you know, it's that kind of uh, balancing of the equation. Should we invest in additional resources to help 
get to build it to our vision? Or do we go buy it, you know, go get an office? And it was very clear. It's like, no, let's invest in another resource. We, you know, we want to, we want to get, we want to move faster, build towards the product. That's all that matters. And I think, you know, those types of decisions, not focusing on anything else, but execution and deliverables is what matters. I think sometimes entrepreneurs can focus, you know, too much on the things that don't really have a, a, a meaningful impact. Those problems can be solved, right? And, and getting an office, you know, you'll get an office when it mode it matters. You'll, 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 you'll have a space to, uh, you know, you'll have a space to call home once you, you move on. I think, you know, maybe with the world of COVID, uh, and, and, and what, what it's, it's done. I mean, obviously the craziness of, of remote working, uh, has its significant cons, but at the same time, it's shown the world that you could actually now build a business without any of that and just truly focusing on product. So if I had to summarize, yeah, that relentless focus on execution and outcomes. Okay, so let, let's move back to, to Nabil, to you. Okay. What does a typical day look like for you? You know, you know, how do you maintain your progression, you know, the kind of focus that you just talked about that you need to succeed and at the same time, you know, have some fun? Because I think, I think being an entrepreneur, you got to have some fun in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's yeah, it's it's a really good question. I think the answer does differ because it's I think you in at a pace of growth that we've kind of gone through with Forma. At the early stage, it meant one thing, and you know, within every, you know every eight to twelve months, it's kind of my my day to day life significantly looks different than what it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and early on, it was you know I was sitting there with the team, you know, executing and kind of you know on pulling the late nights to kind of get through to, to building our first version of the product mm-hmm. all the way to, you know, to delivering our, you know, and supporting our customers in implementation phases. And so the type of fun that you have in the early stages is the wins of accomplishing and, and building and seeing the outcomes and seeing the happiness of the customer yeah. and doing that alongside everyone. As you scale up, I think, you know, to me now it's, I'm still heavily involved in product and I still, you know, I, I still very much, uh, participate and kind of guide the direction of, of where we're building with the team. And so, you know, n- that's not to say that I stepped away there, but my focus now as the company is scaled is ensuring that, you know, we have the right team members and making sure that we have the right leadership team to kind of continue the culture uh, that is focused on outcomes and deliverables and and uh, and customer execution and, and values a certain type of working culture within our team. And so for me now, it's about supporting my leadership team and supporting the, the individuals in the organization that are going to continue carrying this forward. And so it does look different. Um, but I get a lot of joy in watching, you know, all these smart people that, you know, we've we brought together to execute on this, you know, this vision. And, and, and I think that's the most, you know, satisfying thing. It's just seeing uh, everyone in the organization now just can, you know, run with things. And, and, you know, before where we all ideate together, we're all coming with ideas together. Now, sometimes, you know, I, I just, I'm so surprised with some of the things that the team is doing where it's, it, it you know, blows my mind that it's just happening without necessarily my day-to-day interaction. So, so you know, move, moving on to that sort of the mentoring side, which is, you know, I, I, I don't know anyone that hasn't gotten, you know, in, in their entrepreneurial journey, gotten to where they, they've been successful without some good good mentoring. And the, the question I have is, you know, what's the best piece of 
advice you've ever received from a mentor that you keep using day in, day out, that, that kind of thing? Yeah, this one, this one is tough. I, I mean, I will say, I think I wholeheartedly agree. I don't, I think it is very hard to get to where we are today without having the guidance and kind of, I want to say the foresight of, of, of having a mentor give you feedback to avoid you driving off a cliff. There's a lot of lessons that you can learn the easy way or the hard way. And, and you know, unfortunately, at early stage, one mistake could be the end of it. Right. And I think that's that's the biggest risk you take on as an entrepreneur. And so setting yourself self up with the right advisors around you is critical to making sure that you know you're um you avoid those big mistakes and learn, you know, and learn from the small mistakes. Sometimes you make a mistake and you don't actually walk away learning from it. Whereas if you have an advisor that you're able to kind of connect on, those mistakes can actually be really powerful and, and you leverage, you know, leverage uh what you say and or, you know what what you've learned from that from that lesson. So I would say that you know advice. The most powerful advice that I've resonated like with is probably that. Is it's you know early on I kind of I got that feedback of don't try to be the hero and do this alone. You know like leverage leverage the network that you have, leverage the individuals that are willing to help and give feedback to guide you. And you know I, I think that's been absolutely instrumental. I mean very early on, uh, you know we were able to get connected with a few entrepreneurs and residents at Communitech and, and DMZ, um, and you know. Again, learn from those individuals that have already done it before. And, you know, more recently, my advisor network has grown significantly where, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting feedback and getting taught by individuals that have done this multiple times over and have seen very successful outcomes from the businesses that they had. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur in some cases can be very lonely because you're solving this problem and, and you have to take on the brunt of all the challenges. And I think by yeah, you know, by not having the right advisors around you, you are going about this in a way where you actually have to learn everything on your own. It's very difficult, and I feel like in the last two years, where I, you know I've, I've taken on um, even a bigger, you know, I, I interact with my advisors almost on you know on a daily basis now, and and pull them in based off of the problems that we're solving, and I think I have grown more as a CEO in the last year and a half to two years, you know. In the last year, I've grown more by working with my advisors than I have in the first four years of this business. And so it gives you an idea of, of, how, of how much of an impact it can have. Well, let's, let's sort of wrap up on uh, one thing. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, Nabil, what would it be and why? I would say persistent. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't give up. You know, it's... It's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say, pers yeah, persistent. If I, if I had to say a second, it would be optimistic because uh, I do have. Uh, I definitely uh, more of a dreamer, but I would say you know there's a lot of individuals, a lot, lot of feedback that you know that I got on that I got early that you know this is a hard problem. Why you know why why solve this problem? Why tackle this? It's not going to work. Customers aren't going to uh, to buy into it. And so it, this is one where um, you have to be persistent to to survive. Uh, in the early days, I think, as an entrepreneur. So that's been great. And some really, actually some fantastic uh, input there. Really, really good. Um, and lots of people listen and they want to get a hold of people. And I know you, nobody wants to make themselves totally public in today's world. But uh, if, if someone listens and they, you spark something, 
how, how could they get a hold of you, Nabil? Yeah, um, absolutely. If, uh, if I can be of help or, again, kind of pass down the support that I've been given mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in getting to here, I'm happy to do so. Uh, LinkedIn is probably one of the, the best ways. I'm not on regularly, but you know, I will, I will, I will see the message and, uh, and respond. And um, they can always reach out to me. Yeah, they can always reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and go from there. That's great. Okay, thanks, Nabil. Thanks for coming on Canada's podcast and giving us your insights. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Phil. It's great to be here.